I want to minister through a message I'm calling the stitches of amazing grace. Now, I know I've got some explaining to do, don't I? I mean, any kid that comes home with stitches, he's got some explaining to do to mom and papa, doesn't he? How many of you, either because of some sort of accident, maybe it was a surgical procedure, maybe it was just the removal of wisdom teeth, how many people in this room have at least one time in your life had stitches Will you just slip up your hand? Hold your hands up, please. And I want you to look around for a moment. And I think you have to arrive at the same conclusion that I'm coming to, and that is you are not alone. You are not alone. Stitches are a part of life. Was there anybody that didn't raise their hand? Brother, you haven't lived long enough. You haven't lived long enough. And you are the most blessed woman on earth. You just haven't lived long enough. They're just a part of life, really. The friend of mine that was instrumental in bringing me to Christ, and when I say that is because I saw Christ live through him. I saw him before Christ. I saw him once he came to Christ, and I saw the radical change in his life. And that friend of mine that was instrumental in me coming to Christ holds a multi-degree black belt in martial arts. He actually trained under some of the protégés that were some of the protégés of the Bruce Lee. So you can see, I mean, he has a rich heritage in this. And years ago when we were working together, he said, I want to give you some training in martial arts. I said, fine, I like martial arts. So we began training. And then one night he brought a rubber knife to the training event. He said, tonight I'm going to show you how to protect yourself, how to take away the knife, if you will, if a knife is ever pulled on you, how many of you know it's not a bad idea to have a backup plan to bless those that curse you? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's not a bad idea, really. And he said something really, really profound before we started that night. He said, if anybody ever pulls a knife on me, he said, number one, they're going to regret it. But number two, he said, I've already conceded in my heart, I'm going to get cut. It's just a matter of where on my body and how deep. And I have never forgotten those words. It's hard to go through life without getting physically cut. And I believe it's impossible to go through life without getting emotionally cut. That's why we need the stitches of amazing grace. The purpose of stitches is to close up wounds. But how many of you know you cannot close up an emotional wound with sutures? That would be as ridiculous as putting rubbing alcohol on diaper rash, friends. (laughs) Listen, how many of you know you've got a recipe for an angry and frustrated baby? And what you've just done is you've just created a new problem. (laughs) says the father of a two-year-old and I believe that's why so many people are living in such frustration and including believers is because they are trying to treat emotional wounds with external remedies external behavior and they find that they're frustrated they're hurtful 
they're angry at times. And I believe the wound that really is out in front of them all is the wound of trying to live a new covenant life based upon old covenant ideologies. Because it's frustrating. I spent a lot of my life there. A lot of my early Christianity was spent living like that. When the Apostle Paul cried out to God, and I don't know what that conversation sounded like exactly, but he said, Daddy, there's a thorn in my flesh. And then the father answered back. He said, Son, Paul, my grace is sufficient. How many of you know you don't want to hear those kind of words when you're in pain? Be honest with yourself. You don't want to hear those words when you're in pain. That's like telling a hungry man, you know, just go ahead and eat the shadow of the hamburger. You know, no, no. I mean, when you're in pain, when you're hungry, you want something of substance. You want some action behind this thing, right? And I believe that exchange between Paul and the father was to recenter his thinking. Because how many of you know when we walk through life, we're going to walk through some stuff. And we need to be mindful. And the father knew what he had planned for the apostle Paul. He knew the roads he was going to have to walk down. He knew the issues he was going to have to face. And he was saying, Paul, get used to looking back toward my grace. You see, that which you talk about, that which you think about will grow larger in your mind. It's like taking a little problem. You've got a little problem, but with a magnifying glass, you've got a big problem. Little problem, big problem, right? Little problem, big problem. And so that which we meditate on grows larger in size. And he said, listen, when you find yourself in those situations, I want you to meditate on my grace. I heard a minister years ago say, listen, if you talk about the mountain, it grows. You talk to the mountain, it goes. The magnifying glass, friends, is our mind and our words. That's what makes things grow in size. When you magnify it first in your mind, I heard you use that scripture last night in Proverbs. When you magnify it in your mind, it doesn't take very long and you'll magnify it with your words. So I have chosen to magnify Christ in every single situation. I've walked through some stuff. Last year was one of the roughest years I've ever had in ministry. I mean, I walked through some stuff, but I chose to magnify Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't believe what the Apostle Paul was suffering from was some sort of physical malady. I believe it was just like the scripture said. It says it was a messenger of Satan. And what did that messenger come to do? To buffet his mind, to buffet his emotions, and ultimately to hijack his will. He ultimately was trying to interfere with the Apostle Paul's will because, man, even the devil had not heard these kind of words before. I mean, the stuff the Apostle Paul was preaching was more more than cutting edge. I mean, this was radically different. And he's like, I got to silence that voice. I got to shut that voice up. That's going to cause me problems. That's going to cause me some trouble along this journey. Uh, If you guys run into any trouble preaching like this, oh yeah, you'll run into some stuff, brothers. 
In other words, what was happening is, is the Apostle Paul's, I believe his soul was getting attacked. I mean, come on. Paul is a man's man. I mean, he's been shipwrecked three times. He spent a night and day treading water in the sea, man. Come on. You know, he's not complaining about some little thing that's sticking in his big foot, man. Come on, man. It's deeper, man. It's in the emotional realm. I mean, guys can handle pain, man. And there's people in this room that are probably dealing with pain. You'd never even know it. We can handle pain. We've got thresholds for pain, or at least we think we do. You women actually handle it better than we do, man. Turns out we might be the pain. Amen. 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 (laughs) Why does this thing seem like it's a million miles away? This is an intimate moment. All of a sudden. This is the next level of covenant right here. All right, thank you, brothers. Yeah. Maybe I move around too much. They told me about these two white lines. Don't get outside of these white lines. And I was looking at them over there. When I first started preaching, man, I'd be walking all the way across the church, man. I'd wear you out, man. I'd be walking from one, and I wouldn't stop. I mean, I was raised a Pentecostal, man, and I just, everybody was doing it, so I was doing it, you know. And I saw those two white lines and reminded me of this minister I know. He was getting invited to come and minister at a church, and it was a very conservative church, and they knew him, and they said, you know what, <laughs> hey, brother, we'd appreciate it, you know, if you, when you minister, if you just stay behind the pulpit. <laughs> and this minister said, well, well, why is that? He said, because we have a cultivated membership. He said, a cultivated membership? He said, do you know what that even means? He said, no, brother, what does that mean? <laughs> He said, that means plowed under with manure. Now, surely that is not what you have at your church. So they're they're restricting me here. Amen. They're restricting me. What I want you to see through the message today, though, really, is that Papa's amazing grace. Yeah, Papa, that's right. Is not limited to sutures, really. Rather, his amazing grace comes through tender expressions and words that he stitches into our heart through the word of God. Papa's amazing grace comes through more subtle things like favor and hugs and kisses and acceptance. Amen? Three months after I turned 18, I took my first full-time job. The year was 1979. I worked for a delightful couple, a husband and wife. They owned a television and appliance business. And I would come to love that couple, and they would come to love me. Their names were Don and Theta Gearhart. She was just a little bitty thing. I mean, if you would have tied a thread around her waist, you could have pulled her through the eye of a needle. The woman, (laughs) I'm not kidding you, she was a little bitty thing. She wore a size three and a half shoe. Come on, that's that's a little woman, man. She was small in stature. But she was powerful and persuasive. In fact, I had never met a person more powerful and persuasive before, and I have never met one since. Theta was a a businesswoman to the max, man. And prior to becoming a businesswoman, she was a seamstress. You give her a needle and thread, she could sew anything. You give her a sewing machine, no problem. She could make clothes, blankets, whatever you needed. I mean, she was kind of like most ladies, 
that when they walk into a room, they just have this way of just fine-tuning that room. They, she knew the trajectory of every conversation in that room. This is the, the way she was. She was like on steroids in that way. Yeah, she was. And I not only work for them, but within a few months, they would put an invitation on the table for me to come and live with them. They would take me in and they would cherish me like a son. We worked together by day. We ate supper together at home by evening. And we slept under the same roof. And sitting around that supper table, I heard a thousand stories. And in preparation for this message, one of those stories walked back into my heart. She told the story of when her and Don were first married in the 1940s. How many of you know when you get married, you bring stuff into a relationship? <laughs> I saw one little hand go. <laughs> Let me say that again. How many of you know when you get married, you bring stuff into a relationship, right? You bring stuff. It's like that when we come to Christ. We bring stuff into the relationship. Yes, we are sealed in our spirit. Oh, but our mind, our will, our emotions, that's all being transformed. You bring habits. You bring mindsets and mentalities. You bring just your ways of doing things, idiosyncrasies. You bring stuff. I think that's the best way to say it. And Don brought some stuff into the relationship too. One of the things he liked to do is he liked to go out and drink with his buddies. And so he went out drinking with his friends one night, and he came home real early in the morning, staggering in, went and got in the bed and passed out. Well, Theta didn't say a thing to him that night, but she sure did the next morning. Remember, she's powerful and persuasive. And when they sat down for a coffee, the conversation went something like this. Well, honey, did you have a good time last night? And he said, yes, I had a good time last night. Probably stayed out too late, probably drank too much. But all in all, I had a good time. Thank you for asking, sweetheart. Why is that? She said, because you'll never do that again. <laughs> she did. Jeremiah, don't you wish you would have had one like that? She said, you'll never do that again. And then Theta got out her box of crayons and she colored a picture in her husband's head that he never forgot. You say, how do you know that, Mark? Because he never tried that again. <laughs> Would you like to know what that picture looks like? She said, if you ever go out drinking again and you come home and pass out in the bed, she said, I'm going to walk over to that closet. I'm going to get my sewing kit out. She said, and then I'm going to take a needle and thread and I'm going to double stitch you between the fitted sheet and the top sheet, and when every border and every corner is closed up, she said, I'm going to set that sewing kit aside, and I am going to beat you with a baseball bat. <laughs> and if you knew this couple, I mean, they were the sweetest couple. But I'm telling you, if Theta said it, Theta meant it. But because she was so persuasive, she didn't have to be powerful persuasive. How many of you know that there are times that we all get stitched in? Times when we feel like we've been sewn between the sheets and beaten with a baseball bat. Amen? There's times when we do that. One of the culprits we find at batting practice, listen to me carefully, is religion. 
Religion will sew you between the fitted sheet of guilt and the top sheet of shame and then swing at you, not with a baseball bat, but with a wagging finger. Shame, shame, shame as it will wag at you. You say, well, wait a minute, Mark. Isn't guilt and shame the same thing? Oh, no, they're different. (laughs) That's like looking at identical twins and saying, aren't they the same thing? No, they're different. They may look the same. They may sound the same. They may act the same. But they are different. You see, guilt says you've made a mistake and shame says you are the mistake. So let me ask you the question. How do we get healed from the wound of religion? How do we get healed in that emotional realm? Is it with silver threads and golden needles? No, friends. You can't treat an emotional wound with thread and a needle. You get healed from emotional wounds by the stitches of amazing grace. The stitches of amazing grace. Another culprit we'll find at batting practice, friends, is people. Now, come on. You got to hear my heart on this, okay? I mean, I love people. I'm a people person. I have no problem sitting in an airport, sitting in a mall. I could stay there all day watching people. I love all shapes, all sizes, all colors, all races. It doesn't matter. I love people. Listen, I wouldn't pastor for any other reason than I love people. I wouldn't do it for any other reason. You couldn't pay me enough to do this. Come on, man. You could not pay me enough to do this. It's because I love the Lord and I love people and I love seeing people get set free. But how many of you know that when it comes to people that occasionally the friend that once adored you and kissed you and hugged you, all that stuff wears out and off and then they sew you between the sheet of abandonment and the top sheet of betrayal. How many of you know that happens? What do we need when we've been cut that deep? Because I can't be talking to a single person in here that has not had that happen somewhere in their life. What do we need in a time like that? We need the stitches of amazing grace. Another culprit you'll find at batting practice is the flesh. And the flesh will sew you between the fitted sheet of fear and the top sheet of condemnation. And then it will leave just an opening on one side, just enough to get its one arm through there, and it will beat itself with a baseball bat. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's exactly right, sister. You're doing it really well. She ain't fanning herself over there either, but... Oh, happy days. What is our deepest need in a time like that, friends? The answer does not change. The answer is the same. We need the stitches of amazing grace. Come on, brother. Friends, Daddy is not looking for us to fail so that he can wag a finger of guilt and shame at us. And he's not looking for us to fail so he can throw us under the church bus. He's not looking for us to fail so that he can sew us between the sheets and beat us with the baseball bat. No, 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 no. His heart is not to inflict wounds. His heart is to heal the wounds, to mend us with stitches. Stitches of what? Stitches of his amazing grace. So let me introduce you to the man. I want to introduce you to that great physician, the one that's been stitching our boo-boos from the beginning of time. His name is Jesus Christ. Come on. 
Jesus Christ. You find him everywhere in the Bible. There's not a book of the Bible that doesn't have Jesus in it. You just got to get out your magnifying glass. Get out your mind. Open up your heart and you'll find Jesus. We find him in the old covenant under the shadows there. Hiding in Psalm chapter 107. Here it is. Psalm chapter 107, verse 19 and 20. Amen. Amen. We're moving right along. Listen to what it says. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. He sent his word. Man, he sent his word. Oh, yes. He sent his son. Yeah. Same thing. Sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, let that fall to the sticky side of your heart this morning, man. Come on. I want you to hear that. He sent his word. Listen, you cannot be free apart from his word. He sent his word. Oh, I love his word. Now, we're going to deal with who that group is, that they group, that pronoun they. We'll figure out who they are in just a little bit. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. Let me ask you a question. Is it trouble they brought on themselves? Yeah, it's trouble they brought on themselves. It doesn't matter. Do they only cry when they need stitches? It doesn't matter. Are they crying out from under an old covenant? Does it matter? He sent his word. God still rescued them. Sent his word and healed them. Now, in there it says that he saved them, he healed them, he delivered them. The Greek in the New Testament equivalent of that would be sozo. So we see a Snapchat of that back there under the old covenant. And here it is in the new covenant, sozo. Saved, healed, and delivered. What does the scriptures tell us? The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Amen. Amen. It says, the Spirit of the Lord. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Saved, healed. And then the word says, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from all the evil. Saved, healed, delivered. Now I need to pull this into a lower gear here for just a moment here because I don't want to rush this point that I want to make here, okay? How many of you know that the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, right? It was written in Hebrew. We read it in English, of course. But behind every one of our English words is still a Hebrew word that it came from originally, right? And when we look at this Hebrew word, heal, that he sent his word and healed us, it is the word rapha. Does that sound a little familiar? Jehovah rapha, my healer, right? Rapha. Rapha literally means to save to heal, to deliver. Look at what it says. To mend with stitches. I didn't make that up, friends. That comes right out of the... Come on, man. That comes right out of the Hebrew concordance. To mend with stitches? You know, the one thing I know is you can't sew up a person from across the room. You got to be up close and personal. You got to be right next to them. 
And I was thinking about this a day or so ago, and I thought, man, if I had a gash on my arm and Jesus said, you know, we could take care of that for you. I can just blink my eyes and it will be gone. I can just speak a word and it will be gone. Or son, I can mend you with stitches. I'd say, honest, I know this sounds bizarre, but I'd say mend me with stitches. Because I want you up close and personal like that. I want you touching me. Yeah. I want you breathing on me. Come over here and just sew me up, whatever you need to do. That scripture is the inspiration behind my message. Now, in the English alphabet, we have 26 letters. The Hebrew alphabet has 22. They do not use all the vowels like we use. We have a separate number system. They do not. Their numbers are encoded into their letters. They use letters for their numbers as well. And the context of what they're saying and talking about determines whether it's a letter or a number. In the Hebrew, they have definitions for every single letter. If we just threw a whole bunch of letters out and it didn't spell a word, we'd go, you'd say, what is that? We'd say, I don't know. That means nothing. That's not the way it is in Hebrew. See, they can either write letters or they can draw what they call pictographs. These are the pictures behind the letters. Every letter has a picture, a word picture to it. And so whether they draw letters or they write in their pictograph, remember the hieroglyphics from the Egyptians? They didn't have to write in letters. All they had to do is just draw pictures. And those pictures would tell a beautiful story. And it's the same thing with the Hebrew letters. You see, if you take my name, Mark James Testerman, and write it on the piece of paper, and you said to my wife, what is that? She'd say, that's my husband. Now let's take away the letters one time, put my picture out there, and you said, what is that? She'd say, that's my husband. Let's take away the picture one time, put an audio clip on there, and say, what's that? She'd say, well, that's my husband. Do you see how this concept works? So when you look at their letters, there's so much more depth. There's so much more meaning to the Hebrew word than it would be in the English. As I was meditating on this about a week ago, I thought, man, does Rafa, does it really tell a story? And it does. See, Rafa comes from three Hebrew letters. Resh, which means beginning. The next Hebrew letter in Rafa is Pei. The letter Pei, the symbol for it is a mouth. It means to speak. It means the word. Pei means word. The next letter is Aleph. Aleph is a picture of God. Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It is preeminent above all letters. It is the most robust. It is the most masculine letter there is. Everything begins with God. And so, when we hear words like Elohim, Elohim begins with that letter Aleph. Elohim. Amy Grant used to sing the song El Shaddai. El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El El Yonah Adonai. Come on, Tim, help me out here, brother. (laughs) Age to age, you're still the same by the power of your name. You know what she was doing? She was reaching back and grabbing three Hebrew names of God, El Shaddai, El El Yon, and Adonai. What do they have in common? They all begin with Aleph. Now, I want you to take a ribbon and put it right there in your mind for just one second, okay? 
And let's skip over into the New Testament. I want to introduce you to John, the Apostle John. You see, when John wrote his book, he didn't start with baby Jesus. See, the other guys took care of that, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He didn't start with 12-year-old Jesus. No, he started with the man. He said, I want to introduce you to the man. I was at the cross. I want to introduce you to this man that I fell in love with. I want to introduce you to this man. And in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, we find these words. In the beginning was the Word. Notice that it's capitalized. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him who's Him, the Word. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. This is Jehovah Rapha he's talking about. Please make note that the Apostle John opens his book by introducing our Savior, namely Jesus Christ. John is introducing us to the one that loves us, the one that saves us, the one that heals us, the one that delivers us, the one that gives us grace and truth. He's introducing us to the preeminent one, Christ. Now, Let's take a needle and thread, man, and let's sew John 1, 1 and Psalm 107, verse 20, right next to each other. I think they belong in the same quilt, to be honest with you. So let's take and let's lay John 1, 1 and Psalm 107, verse 20 together and take a look at this. Next verse, please. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now look at the Psalm 107, verse 20. He sent his Word and healed. Healed is Rapha, of course. Resh. Pay Aleph. What is Resh? Beginning. What is Pay? Word. What is Aleph? God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. How, how did the psalmist tell us that we would be saved, healed, and delivered? He said that he sent his Word, and he healed us. We are healed by the word. There are no shortcuts. There are no other ways to do it. We are healed by Jesus Christ. We are healed by his word, the one that came to us full of grace and truth. Nicole Marbach, the host of this conference, the shepherdess of this Hope Center, the one that's a friend to the world. I'm telling you, I don't know your full story, but I guarantee you were healed by the word. I guarantee you were healed by the word. Jesus came to save us. Jesus came to heal us. Jesus came to deliver us. How are we healed? By the word. Don't try to find any other way to do it, man. You are healed. You are set free from religion. You are set free from the flesh. You are set free from what other people think about you by the word. You believe what daddy says about you. I had a man one time, he didn't agree with my opinion about something. He said, you're dumber than a box of rocks. And I walked away from that and I said... First, I'll be honest with you. The first thing I thought, man, I, the first thing I thought, man, is if, man, if I wasn't a transformed man, I'd just pull you outside and I'd stone you with those rocks, the box you just gave me. I mean, that was the first thought. Then I said, then I said, Daddy, what about that? He said, Son, you are righteousness. You are holiness. You are sanctification. You are redemption. That is your identity. Yeah. And so I walked away from him and it was like water off a duck's back. It's like, okay, that's all gone, okay? Next. <laughs> we're not just healed by any word. We're not just healed by a word. We're healed by the word. The word. 
The is a definite article. It means the one and only. I'm talking about we're healed by Jesus, whether it comes through the form of this word or it comes through just him speaking directly into your heart. Sometimes it will come through other people. We are healed by the word. So sometimes we go to church and I know we can get caught up in emotions, friend. You're in there snapping your weave, having a good old time in service while worship's going on, but you leave just as empty as you came in. Man, you need the word inside of you. Let the word work. It's working constantly inside of us. Taking pain medication for a bladder infection doesn't make the infection go away. You need an antibiotic in a case like that. Do you know what antibiotic means? Anti means against. Biotic means life. And when you take an antibiotic in, you know what it does? It has one assignment to kill. It doesn't matter if that's good bacteria, bad bacteria, or ugly bacteria. It doesn't matter what its assignment is. I'm here to kill everything. And friends, that is what happened to us at the cross. The Bible says we were crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Not my faith, His faith. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Amen? He loved me and gave Himself for me. See, Romans 6, I believe it is, says that we died with Christ, we were buried in baptism with Christ, and we were raised in resurrection life and power. We were raised in newness of life. And I believe that with all my heart. Ain't a word you can say to make me believe anything different than that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You say, man, what's passed away? <laughs> it said old things have passed away. First of all, the old covenant is passed away. And friends, the old heart. The old heart. I don't have the same heart. I've got a new heart. My old heart passed away. I have a new heart. Taking the law in to get rid of guilt, shame, fear, and condemnation is just as foolish as expecting a bladder infection to go away with pain medication. You know what you find? You find when the pain medication wears off, the issue of life is still there. Friends, it's an empty victory apart from the stitches of amazing grace. Guilt, shame, fear, and condemnation are served eviction notices through the revelation of an up-close and personal relationship with God. I'm talking about the one that loves you the way you are. You don't have to change a thing for him to keep loving you. He loves you the way you are. He's the one that mends us with the stitches of Jesus' amazing grace. The one that runs to us with hugs and kisses when we have failed. The one that blesses us when we don't deserve blessings. The one that rescues us from our destructions. I was traveling several years ago, and it was very early in the morning, and I happened to stop at a convenience store. And I would notice how the clerk would come out from behind the cash register and stock shelves between customers. I didn't think anything about that, but she happened to get in my section there. And true to my nature, I struck up a conversation with her. I could tell she was a little irritated about something. I said, why are you so irritated? Why are you so mad? She said, oh, that son of mine, I tell you. 
She said, that boy of mine, I'm so mad at him. And I said, why are you so mad at him? He's only 16 years old, and he went out and got a tattoo. I'm like, oh, okay. Nobody called me. I didn't give nobody permission. And so she went on for a little while. And she said, well, I suppose, like mother, like son, I got tattoos everywhere. He's got tattoos. I'm a cutter. He's a cutter. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. What'd you say? She said, I'm a cutter. He's a cutter. And she rolled up her left sleeve, and there were so many scars on that arm, it looked like a Mississippi road map. And before I could even say a word, she rolled up the other sleeve. And it looked the same, except there was a three or four inch gash on there, about two weeks old. It was all crusted over and healing up. And she looked at me, and she said, that's my most recent one. And she held it up like it was some sort of trophy. And I looked at her, and I said, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, why did you do that? Why do you do that? She said, sir, I've got a pain on the inside of me that I can't locate. I've got an emotional disturbance going on on the inside of me that I can't seem to put a finger on. And she said, the only way I can get relief is I have to grab a razor blade. I have to grab a knife. I have to grab a shard of metal. I have to get a broken bottle or something. And she says, the deeper I cut myself and the longer that gash is, she said, the longer I can go between cuts. And she said, that one right there, that one right there will last me about six weeks. Now, what do you say to someone like that? There ain't no manual for this kind of stuff, Brother Jeremiah. There ain't no manual for this stuff. I mean, what do you say? I stared through her into her soul, and the first words that came out of my mouth were, Surely he hath borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Cut! He was bruised for our iniquities. Cut! The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes. Cuts! We are healed. And I stood there in that convenience store at 3.30 in the morning ministering to that woman the love of God and the grace of God. Friends, I want to tell you something. Oh, she got stitches that day, all right. But they showed up in the form of amazing grace. Amen? Now, I can't tell you for sure, to be honest with you, what happened to that woman. What did Daddy have in mind? Healing? Salvation? deliverance for this lady did you notice the prophet Isaiah used that same word that Rapha word when he said by his stripes we are healed Rapha beginning word God I'm going to tell you something you want to know what ministry looks like learn how to minister the word of God to people that are hurting and it doesn't always show up in the form of just King James Bible English. It can show up so many different ways. Learn to minister the word Amen. to people. I can't tell you what happened to that woman. I can tell you what I was sent there to do. And that was to minister the word. And one thing I've learned about the word is it does not return void. It accomplishes that which it's been sent out to do, doesn't it? The word never returns void. It's got an assignment once you release it. It's got a power once you... It's persuasive. It's persuasive, man. And you leave the results up to the Holy Spirit. I was walking down the street one time doing evangelism. I was teaching evangelism at my church. And how many of you know you can't learn how to swim from the living room, right? You got to eventually get out there and do it, right? And, you know, I have since learned then when, when we see that command in the Bible in, I believe it's Matthew 28, I think it's verse 19, go ye there forth and all, you know, baptize nations, all that stuff. I have since learned the actual meaning of that is as you go. 
You don't necessarily have to say, man, I have to go do this. I have to go knock on doors. But it's as you go. And I have found more ministry opportunities as I go. Without even trying to make it happen. I can't even go to Walmart, man. You ask my wife, man. I mean, I, I'm minding my own business. You know what she's, she does now? It made me feel bad at first. She'd have the cart. We'd be walking along. All of a sudden, somebody strikes up a conversation. I start ministering. My wife just keeps going. It's, it, she says, I'm on a different mission, okay? I, I, I'm here to get groceries. You, you, you're here to do something else. But I mean, it's strangest things. I've led people to the Lord in Walmart. I honestly have. But it's as you go. And so I went out in the streets one night knocking on doors and, you know, prayed for a few people and just ministered to people. And the evening sky began to fall. And so I started walking back toward the church. And as I began to walk back to the church, at the other end of the block, I saw a man walking toward me. And I could tell he had the weight of the world on his shoulders. His head was down. And just the way he carried himself, you know. He's hurting, you know. And when he got up close to me, I stepped over in front of him and I said, Good evening, sir. I've come by tonight to tell you there's a God in heaven that loves you. And I said, what are you doing? He said, you know what? To be honest with you, my wife and I are not getting along. I think it'd be best if I just took a walk. And that's why I'm out here walking. And I began to minister the grace of God to that man, the love of God to that man. And after about three to five minutes of that, he tried to step around me. And I just did the electric slide over in front of him. Whoops. <laughs> I ministered to him some more. He tried to step around me. I electric slide again. I don't recommend this. It's the only time I've ever done it. I felt like I was being moved by the Spirit to do it that way. And finally, I had to let him go. And then about five months later, six months later, I was at a Thursday night prayer meeting, just me and one other sister from the church. And when we would pray, we'd reduce the lights a little bit. I was usually up front. She was in the back. And I heard the front door open up. And I heard somebody come through. I didn't think anything about it. I thought somebody was joining us. I heard somebody walk up the five steps that led up to the sanctuary and open that creaky door and come in. And then I heard Sister Pat talking to somebody. And Sister Pat was serious business when it came to praying. There ain't no way she'd be having a conversation with anybody. So I went back there. And as I was walking back, I recognized it was the same man that I had talked to on Merrill Avenue five or six months before. And Sister Pat said, Mark, this man says, that's all she got out of her mouth. And I said, I know, I know exactly who he is. And I grabbed that man by the hand, that grown man, and I walked him down the aisle like he was the bride of Christ. I did. It was, I felt like it was a daddy, like a daddy was walking his daughter down an aisle. You know, I just did. He was, he was broken. He was broken, and I walked him down the aisle, and at the end of the aisle, I handed him off to Jesus. What's my point? I'm telling you, his word works. It does not return void. It accomplishes that what it's set up to. Sometimes I think what happens is we don't see the manifestation ourselves, so we think it didn't work. No, friends, his word works. He sent his word, and it saved us. It healed us. It delivered us. Oh, man, come on, man. Psalm 107, verse 19 and 20 again. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Please make note that the psalmist is writing while under an old covenant, a covenant that God found fault with, and a covenant that God has made obsolete. Just check Hebrews 8, 13 out if you don't believe me. Under the old covenant, there was immediate judgment for sin. 
Under the new covenant where we live, there is complete vindication for all transgressions. We are not forgiven sinners. We are justified sons. And I believe that's where our journey to wholeness begins. You've got to cross over to that mentality. I'm not a dirty worm. I'm not just some forgiven sinner. I am a justified son. Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 9. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, justified through faith. Now, remember how they teach you when you see a therefore, you're to ask what it's therefore. Another way to say this is the word therefore, that adverb literally means for that reason. So what it does is it makes you look in your rearview mirror to see what reason. Remember that. Therefore, what reason? Well, if you look at how Romans chapter 4 ends, it ends with verse 25, and it says, He was delivered over to death for our sins, and He was raised in resurrection life for our justification. Who are we talking about? We're talking about the Word. We're talking about Jesus. So He died for our sins. He was raised in resurrection life for us. Now we can say, for that reason... Isn't that beautiful? I don't have my own checklist. For that reason, I tell you, my salvation, my hope, my deliverance, my healing is based upon what he did. For that reason, he died for my sins. He was raised to life for my justification. And because of that reason, I can be justified through faith and we have peace with God. Oh man, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've also gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Brother, you said it. You said the confident expectation of good. That's what biblical hope looks like. It is a confident expectation of good. I don't know how you're going to do this, daddy. I don't know how you're going to get me out of this situation. Like the tax man. I don't know how you're going to do this, but you're going to do it. I have a confident expectation of good. I'm talking about the kind of expectation of good that Nicole Marbach wrote about. A hope that holds on to us. But friends, it's even more. It's not that we just hold on to this hope. This hope holds on to us. Come on, man. Listen, when my kids were little and we would cross streets or be walking in the mall. Listen, him holding on to me didn't keep him vertical. Because when he let go of his little grip, his little pressure, I mean, you know, daddy was holding him. It's a hope that holds on to me. It's a hope that holds on to us. Amen. Had a woman write me an email this last week. She said, man, she said, I could hear her despair. She was saying, oh, man. She said, I I walked with the Lord for the longest time. And she said, I feel so bad. I let go of his hand. I thought. Man, he never let go of yours. He never let go of your hand. Why? Because it says right there, and hope does not put us to shame. You know what hope does? Hope takes away the razor blades. This kind of hope takes away the razor blade. It takes away the pills. It takes away the baseball bat. It shows up in the form of Rafa, beginning, word, God. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us, and I love this. You see, I love that. You see, at just the right time, when we were 
powerless. When we were sown between the sheets, when we were powerless, when we couldn't fight our way out of a wet paper bag, when we were powerless, it was then that Christ died for who? The ungodly right there. He didn't say, listen, we need to take you to a shower before we can save you. No. He did the extreme makeover without your help, friends. And then it says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by his blood. Come on. We're justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Who's him? The word. So those scriptures began with being justified by faith. They closed with being justified by his blood. So let me ask you, which one was it? (laughs) Friends, it was both. We're justified by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. Justified means we have been declared innocent. The stitches of amazing grace have closed up our bleeding, our bruised, and our bankrupt hearts. The funnest game I ever played when it comes to Monopoly, I usually don't like that game because it takes too long to play it. Come on. When my boys were in their upper teens, they said, Daddy, let's play Monopoly. I'm like, oh, man. How many of you know, even when you play Monopoly, there's some strategies. You don't just buy everything you land on, number one. And you don't buy everything you hear as you walk through this life either, you know. You got to check. And I don't buy all that cheap stuff on the first and second street. I wait till we get on third street and that fourth street. I mean, then we start buying stuff, right? And we put, start putting hotels on it as well. I had more money than the bank. I couldn't do a thing wrong. I had more money than the bank had. And I, pretty soon I had all their money. My two boys, and they were mortgaging their properties just for, I guess, just for some capital to stay alive, you know. They're mortgaging their properties. And then I came to the realization as I was playing Part of it was, I'm tired of playing, but the other part, <laughs> the other part was, I don't want this game to end with my boys as losers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what daddy wants to see their boys lose? I thought, no, I don't want them to lose. So what happened was, is when they would come around, I owned Park Place and Boardwalk. 1750, 2000, every time you land on. See, when you land on my properties, you're trespassing. You owe me because you're trespassing. When they landed on my property, instead of them paying me, I paid them. I might be the only person in the history of that game that's ever done something like that. But when they would land on my property, I would say, okay, that's $2,000. And I would count out $2,000 of my money and I would hand it across to my son. And he looked at me like, Daddy, have you lost your doggy brain? What's going on here? And he would come across with his two little fingers and take the money like I was going to psych him out or something and you know what the more I gave the more I had I'm like what is going on every time I come around to free park and I win I'm winning everything and I and I did that for probably a half an hour and finally I said okay boys I give up divide my property divide my money you guys play (laughs) friends that's what Jesus did for us We were trespassers on his property. We were trespassers. We landed on his boardwalk. We owed him money. And he said, no. He said, no, 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 no. You don't have to pay me anything. I'm going to pay you. Amen. Come on, man. Amen. 
what kind of amazing grace is this? Is this an amazing grace conference? Come on, man. What kind of amazing grace is this? It's the amazing grace that mends us with stitches. It's the amazing grace that saves us, heals us, and delivers us. It's the amazing grace that doesn't put rubbing alcohol on your diaper rash. It doesn't sew us between the sheets and beat us with a baseball bat. It's powerful. It's persuasive. It says, yes, you've trespassed, but I like giving gifts to men. Come on, man. It takes us in and it cherishes us like a son. It works with us. It eats with us. It sleeps with us. Oh, it will walk you down an aisle and put a ring on your finger. It renders the batting cage of the old covenant broken and obsolete. But friends, listen to my heart here. This kind of amazing grace only comes from the father of the king. And this amazing grace comes with complete vindication. The only way it comes. You don't get a partial grace, you get it in its fullness. In the book of Genesis, we find a narrative that showcases and exemplifies the extravagant and amazing graces that I've been speaking about. I'm going to breeze through this because I know we're short on time. Genesis chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said to his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her in. Now, why would Abraham do something like that? Why would he do that? Because he was living between the sheets of fear and condemnation. I mean, you read the story, friends. That's all it was to it. He was afraid that Abimelech was going to kill him if he said, she's my wife. So I'll just say, you're my sister. And what did Abimelech do? He snatched her up, took her, put her in his harem. And I think, to be honest with you, I think Abraham misjudged his heart. I mean, there's a lesson in that for us, too, that we're just not really set here to judge people. Jesus said, I don't even come to judge you, man. And so it says, but God. Do you love those words, but God? Come on. But God. Remember those. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night, and he said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord. Notice that Lord is spelled with a capital L, but lowercase O-R-D. See, he's not addressing the covenant-keeping God, or it'd be all in caps right there, L-O-R-D. He's addressing him kind of like master. Abimelech, no doubt, was polytheist, and he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with clear conscience. So I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife for he is a prophet. He will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all of his officials. And when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, what have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, 
There is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had made me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Now watch. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. What? It's like the Monopoly game with my boys. Are you kidding me? Shouldn't Abraham be doing that to you? And he returned Sarah, his wife. What I find interesting about this is God didn't even tell Abimelech to do this. So, I mean, it shows us a side of Abimelech that says, you know what? I wasn't instructed to do this. I was just instructed to give back Sarah. But you know what? Cattle, sheep. And Abimelech said, my land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah, he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. Look what he says. You are completely vindicated. Abimelech had a word from God that brought salvation, it brought healing, it brought deliverance, not only for him and his tribe, but for Sarah and Abraham as well. Amen. Abimelech blesses Abraham. Abraham is the father of faith. Listen at the typology here. He's the father of faith. Sarah is the mother of grace. And he has given them gifts they don't deserve. And then tells them, They are completely vindicated. That means in the Hebrew, you are justified. You are declared right in my eyes. Does that sound familiar? It's Romans 5 all over again. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've also gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Therefore, having been justified. And when I was meditating upon that, I thought, man, what does Abimelech's name mean? I know it's going to be some rotten, low-down, dirty name. Oh, no, no, no. When I looked it up, I'm like, you kidding me? His name means father of the king. Look it up one time in the Hebrew. Abimelech means father of the king. The father of the king has said, yes, you did wrong. Yes, you lied to me. Yes, you trespassed. But I'm going to give you gifts. And by the way, you are completely, completely exonerated. You are completely vindicated. You are right. You are justified in my eyes. Isn't that beautiful? That's our covenant back in Genesis. Man. We're going to deal with the they. Psalm 107, verse 19 and 20 again. Then they, let's pull the veil back here, okay? Cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. He sent his word. So now the question, who were the people that the Lord was saving out of their distresses? They must have been an elite group of followers, right? That he saved, healed, and delivered, right? I mean, they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them, he healed them, and he delivered them from their destructions. We're in Psalm 107, verse 19 and 20. Let's just back up two verses. Watch this. Verse 17 and 18. Fools, because of their transgression, and because of their iniquities, 
are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. And then verse 19 and 20 says, then they cry unto the Lord. Daddy has chosen to save and heal and deliver fools. We were all fools at one time, friend. He's chosen to save transgressors. We were all transgressors. And iniquity rebels, there is no fine print with him. No stringent criteria. And you don't have to be a member of a special interest group, friends. Just those who call upon the word, those who call upon the word that was in the beginning with God shall be saved, healed, and delivered. Rafa, resh, pay, aleph. I want to close with this thought. I wanted to really get into the prodigal son, but I don't have time. It's a love story, friends. It's our covenant. A son that's a rebel. Because I think so many people in the body of Christ, they've seen themselves like that. They've wandered off. They've wandered off. I mean, he told his daddy right up front. He said, give me my inheritance. You know, that was such dishonor. That was worthy of death by itself. That story, the prodigal, let me just say it this way, not go into the whole story. But you ever notice there's no mother in the story? It's not because no mother exists. I believe she's there. She's just not relevant. So this story is not about the missing mother. And this story is not about the bratty brother. You know, the one that won't come in to dine and have the party. And friends, this is not even about the sinful son. This is about the faithful father. This whole story is about the faithful father and his goodness. Oh, I wish I had time to go into that. I really do. Let me close with these thoughts. A few years ago, Peter Swart asked me to minister in a conference with him. We were in conference that weekend. Pastor Bill Heckworth took the Friday night service. Pastor Cecil Hall took the Saturday morning service. Pastor Peter Swart took the Saturday evening service and he gave me 90 minutes on Sunday morning. And the group of people that we were ministering to, 98% of them were former Amish. There were a few that were still standing there that were wearing the Amish clothing, but most of them had already shedded that Amish clothing. They had traded their sheets for a robe, friends. Come on, man. That's all part of the prodigal. And you know when daddy said bring the robe that he used that adjective best? Do you know why he said that? He was saying bring daddy's robe. You see daddy's robe was one that was for special occasions. Daddy's robe was a seamless robe. The kind that Jesus wore to the cross. When I stood there for 90 minutes and preached a message called Discover Jesus, there were eyes that began to leak in that congregation I mean, right from the start, and many of them never stopped until the very end. What I saw the Holy Spirit do, see, every sewing kit's got a seam ripper, doesn't it? It's got a seam ripper when you feel like it's not exactly like it should be. And I watched the Holy Spirit take that seam ripper and just run it up that garment, and I watched them shed that. Toward the end of that message, I was preaching from the Song of Solomon, and I preached these Final scriptures in Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. And I say this because I understand this is where the body of Christ can get stuck. The woman says, 
Dark am I, yet lovely. Daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. She said, do not stare at me because I am dark. Because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and they made me take care of the vineyards. And then she says, my own vineyard I had to neglect. When I was done, I walked back to the sound booth to take my microphone off. And one of the ladies, the young ladies that had been crying through the whole service, I turned around and she was walking toward me. When we made eye contact, she just took off running toward me and she threw her arms around me and wept and wept and wept and wept. She was a former Amish lady. And I held her for about five minutes and I finally motioned to my wife, Valerie, come, come, come. And my wife, Valerie, came and I handed her off to Valerie and she continued to weep. And finally, Valerie asked the proverbial question, why all the tears? And she said to her, last night when we were at home, I said to my husband, there's times I feel so dark. Yet there's times I feel so lovely. Do you see what daddy did? He took his word and healed her. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from this message this morning are these. Getting cut is just part of living. The Bible says all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The irritants and thorns of religion are no match for the sufficient and amazing grace of Jesus Christ. When emotionally wounded, our salvation and our healing and our deliverance is frustrated when all we seek is natural remedies through external behavior modification. Instead, we turn to the Word, the one that was with God in the beginning. I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about Rapha, the one that came to mend us with the stitches of amazing grace and truth. You and I may be small in stature, but inside Every believer is the ability to be powerful and be persuasive. It starts by coloring new pictures in our minds and allowing those pictures in our mind to come out in the form of our words to shape every single word we speak. We don't magnify our problems. We magnify our Christ. Friends, there is no substitute for the word if we want to walk freely. If we want to walk freely, if we want to walk free of the parasites of guilt and shame and fear and condemnation, we must come into agreement with what he says. He said it. He meant it. I'm here to represent it. I'm talking about the parasitic thorns that will toggle your heart between dark and lovely when we must allow the faithful father to run to us with hugs and kisses, and acceptance. Hear the word of the Lord when he says, you are all together beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Why? Because you have been 
completely vindicated by the Father of the King. We have been justified by faith. We have been justified by His blood. We have been justified by His dear Son. We have been declared innocent. We add nothing to His finished work for our salvation, our healing, our deliverance. We simply take in the Word, the one that was with God in the beginning. Friends, we have been sewn into the quilt of Daddy's heart by the stitches of amazing grace. In Jesus' name, amen. What a good word. Thank you. <laughs> Let's just say thank you to Jesus a little bit more. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. The word works. Jesus is the only one that can set us free. When I was in the middle of cutting myself with my testimony, the voice of the Father said to me, you don't have to do that anymore because my son shed his blood for you. His stitches of amazing grace came into my mess to tell me that is not who you are. You are a righteous, loved, healed, precious child of God. And no external worldly system could heal the emotional wounds of trauma, sexual abuse, everything else. It's only Jesus that has set me free. And he's continually (laughs) speaking to my heart, and I'm continually receiving more healing and freedom. And so it's a testimony. And so now I take those stitches of amazing grace and the word And sharing with people about you can control. Grace can help you. The stitches of amazing grace can heal you, set you free, and help you in the area of your emotions to go back to what the word says. So I go to those people that are self-injuring in that and share the stitches of his amazing grace. And it's awesome. So God is so good. I mean, this is just... How many of you, you know, just hearing the good news causes us to effortlessly fall deeper in love with Jesus? It's not, oh, you have to love the Lord. No, it's about his love for us. And then we effortlessly just, oh, man, so good.